Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 85. I want to start by saying that uh, our co-host, Josh, is not here, uh, but we have somebody filling in for him, and we'll get to him in a second. First, I want to let everyone know that uh, uh, there are a couple of minisodes now available, one about uh, bicycle thieves and the other about To Kill a Mockingbird. So you can find those at morethanonelesson.com. Also, Reed Lackey has written a very interesting uh, article about the film Warm Bodies, which, uh, oddly enough, when it came out, a number of my friends suggested that I see it and that I do a more than one lesson episode about it, which uh, I may do, but I have not yet seen it, so I don't know if it uh, it warrants one. Um, And frankly, I might feel that there's uh, nothing really more to contribute to to Reed's blog. So you can find that at morethanonelesson.com. so yeah, this episode uh, is a Joshless episode, and I think he will be back next week. But in the meantime, we brought back a, a fan favorite. No, it's not Doug Jones. No, it's not Tom Wilson. It's someone better than those guys, I think. It's Robert Hornack. Robert, how you doing? Hi, I don't do well with build-ups. <laughs> oh, I can't okay. live up to any of that. Well, but, um, I'm, but I'm glad to be here. I think you can live up to that. Okay. When it comes to film analysis, I bet you are the equal, I would venture to say the superior of both those guys. Uh, who were they again? Oh, Doug, yeah, Doug Jones. Doug Jones and Tom Wilson. Gotcha. Well, I, I, I'm not going to be the guy that agrees with you on that. All right. I'm just saying those guys are terrible. <laughs> All right. Uh, those that may recall, uh, Robert, for a while, and it might still be the case, but I'm not sure... Uh, Robert had the longest episode of More Than One Lesson in which he came on and talked about the collected works of Woody Allen. So, That's right. I think someone beat me. I think someone did. Oh, you know what? I think that Avengers episode came along, and it Who? was me, Sean, and Josh. That's right. That's so there right. are three of us. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we really just went to town on that one. So, uh, But then uh, you also came back and talked about Black Swan in, yes. the, in the middle of my Films About Art series. Yes. And uh, you bashed uh, my favorite movie of 2010. I will you... bash it again, if you wish. No, that's all right. We got enough of it in that episode. But uh, anyway, so yeah, you're back. And I'm trying to... So it's been a while. Let's see. No, that's back when I was hosting the show by myself. So that's been almost... That's been about two years yes. since you were last on. I think so. it, was, uh, it was August of 2010 was the last time I was on. No. That sound right? No, 2011. My, my bad. Yeah, 2011, yeah. yes. So, um, but yeah, so since then, what, is, what has been going on? At the time, I believe you worked for CSI Miami. I was working for CSI Miami. Uh, CSI Miami went belly up. Uh, yeah. Got canceled by CBS. Um, I floated for just about a month or so, maybe two months, and then landed the same sort of gig, uh, script coordinating at um, the TV show Bones. Yeah. Now, I've I've never seen a single episode of Bones, and I did see I've only seen one episode of CSI Miami. Guess which one? 
Mine. The one you wrote. Although yes. you wrote another one as well. Yes. Well, I co-wrote a second one. Oh, so, okay. Um, right. But I, ha- I, I have not written an episode of Bones. Okay. I'm only a script coordinator over there. Is Bones a good show? I recognize it, you have to say yes, but still. Well, I don't think I have to say yes because they're not going to be listening to this. No, they Ooh, won't be. I, I didn't mean that. Um, no, uh, the, the, uh, the odds are on your side on I that I will one. have them listen to that. To oh. this. How about that? Um, but I... I uh, what was the question? Is it a good show? Oh, is it a good show? Uh, it is a good show. In fact, Aubrey, my wife, is uh, has been a huge fan of the show since day one of the show. Mm-hmm. So she she was caught up with the show before I ever got the job. I would come home from work, and she would sometimes be watching the show, and I would watch the last half of it, and I would say something akin to, and let me quote, Wow, this is like CSI Miami, except they care about the characters. Oh. You know, the character's actually interesting, and they're actually dialoguing with each other as opposed to dialoguing with, you know, the, the clues. Yeah. Um, so, you, so, na- so you do feel as though you can uh, speak derisively about uh, CSI Miami now that it's not around anymore. I was speaking derisively about it while I was working there. Oh, okay. Fair um, enough. I mean, it was a great place to work. I mean, the, everyone, everyone there was very, very kind and talented and approachable and all those things. And, of course, why would I ever bite the hand that feeds me? They gave me an episode and a half. Yeah. And uh, some of that cash helped to pay for my wedding. So I can't exactly bash it, per se. Right. It always fascinates me. To go back to CSI Miami, it always fascinates me when a, a show is canceled. Um, right. Uh, especially a show like that. A show that... What, what, describe what you mean by that. It's a CBS show that had an audience. Right. And probably a pretty sizable one, because everything CSI has a sizable uh, audience. Exactly. Uh, it was it was baffling to everyone involved, uh, basically, because you're, you're exactly right. It's a show that had major international presence. Um, it was making CBS, still making CBS tons of cash because they're still, you know, cycling for what is internationally new episodes. Oh, okay, um, yeah, yeah. To other countries. Um, Still had a respectable audience here. Was getting respectable ratings for being a you know a Sunday night show and yeah and all those things. But uh, who knows? I mean, politics. I guess, cash. Is, C- is CBS the number one network? I, as I, far as no you know, idea. those networks. I, I know that. I mean, Big Bang Theory and Survivor and and just I know that NCSI in general always make it in the top ten. So I think CBS is maybe number one. Right, you're asking um, the wrong guy. I mean, as long as I've worked in TV, I've I've never really kept up with ratings, okay, or cared yeah. much about the business end of it. And so maybe that's the thing is, maybe even though they have a show that's part of a proven franchise and has an has a decent audience, maybe they thought, oh well, we can do better than decent ratings wise. Certainly not uh, programming wise, but um, it's all very mystifying to me because we. All the all, everything that was positive about the show should have kept it on the air. Um, yeah. You've got an iconic character, whether you hate the character of Horatio Kane or not, you have an opinion about him. Yeah, because he's a cultural icon. And anybody that's seen one episode, as I have, <laughs> you can just tell that his dumb one-liner. Although I feel like that episode, the dumb one-liner is probably a little bit smarter than the other ones. That's for you, buddy. Um, Thank you. But anyway, uh, as he says that and throws on his sunglasses and then the music starts, I just got the feeling like, okay, so I'm going to assume that happens every episode, right? Right, yeah. Okay. And so... Something something like that. An iconic character played by, I would say, a beloved TV actor because of NYPD Blue. Um, Mm. And then... That's debatable. It's debatable? Well, because he left NYPD... I don't want this to be a, you know... 
takedown of David Caruso. But but I mean, he left NYPD Blue uh, under dark clouds. He oh. he left thinking that he was going to become this huge movie star, right? And that he sort of owned the world because of how popular he was on that show. And then his career, yeah, kind of took a dump. Yeah. Um, and Jade did not do for him what he wanted. What he it to hoped do. it would. Yeah. And so uh, he kind of floundered around doing a couple of more unsuccessful things, mm-hmm. and and then got the second chance, yeah. and that lasted for ten years. And then you know he made of it what he could, and it went away. You know, and that's the other thing, and that speaks to. Have you ever? Okay, so you're friends with. Uh, I mean, you're friends with some of my friends, but also you're friends with similar people to us, sure. movie nerds, movie snobs. Um, right. And maybe one of the reasons that I'm surprised that CSI Miami got canceled was I just thought, well, this type of procedural could just go on indefinitely. But also, just now you said 10 years. The show has been on 10 years? The show was on for 10 years when it got okay. canceled. So it, right. this would have been the end of the or beginning of the 12th season. Yeah. Had it survived. <laughs> and that's the thing is... The show was so not on my radar, and this should speak to just how maybe elitist I am. Uh, The show was so not on my radar. You could have said, hey, CSI Miami, Miami, that was on for four years. So the show feels to me prematurely canceled, but it was on for 10 years. That's a a good run for any show. It's a good run for any show, except for the when you you think about it, I don't know if this is metaphysically or what, but I mean, when you think about the fact that the show ran as all these CSI shows do, on uh, a very simple formula, mm-hmm. which is dead body, clues, catch the killer. Yeah. Every single episode. Um, and if that goes... But this for, one was in Miami. This was, I guess, I guess that makes it <laughs> special. Um, but yeah, it, it actually did make it special because as as I worked on that show and I would like go back home and ask, uh, you know, friends, friends who knew that I worked on that show we get naturally get in a conversation about it and i'd say so do you watch the show and they would say if they said yes i would say well why what 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 is it that makes you watch it and they would either say i i love to hate they wouldn't say it this way but they would love to hate horatio kane and that just kind of makes it fun to watch okay or they would love the colors hmm and the colors are directly related to the fact that it's shot in Miami and they're like they want to make Miami look this way and so it's exceptionally just extremely stylized Hmm. Um, and that's on top of the first CSI which I remember thinking I know that this isn't isn't actually supposed to take place in our our universe I get that but (laughs) I remember when I because I watched one or two episodes of that and thinking you know, if you're examining dead bodies, it seems to me you would want more lighting than this. I understand it's supposed to look cinematic yeah. and cool, right. but it seems impractical now. Right. But then I realize I'm not the intended audience. Or or you would not wear high heels, necessarily, right. to kneel next to the dead body, you know. Hey, you know, neither of us are women. We don't know. I, I can't speak for the women of the world. So, uh, But it did get canceled, and then, uh, like I say, I, I was actually overseas for the very first time in my life with my wife. Um, or ever really, but I was, we were in England and, uh, I got the news that it had been canceled. So it kind of shot a hole in our enjoyment of, yeah. uh, of being over there. We said, we're not going to, we're not going to let this get us down and enjoy the next couple of days and then came home and I immediately had to start looking for work. Yeah. And, uh, that went on for about a month and finally somebody sent me an ad that said, Hey, Bones is looking for 
script coordinator. So took that job. Here I am. All right. And here you are. Yes. If you weren't on Bones, you would not be here at More Than One Lesson. That show carries a lot of weight. Wow. With this podcast. You love the Bones. I sure do. Wow. uh, I could not tell you the premise of it. I know nothing about it. Here's the premise of it. Okay. Dead body, clues, catch the bad guy. Huh. It's the same show. That's, that reminds me of something. Except it's funnier. It's, you know, it's, okay. it's, it's built to make you laugh along with the characters while they're solving crimes. Okay. And you care about them. Fair enough. Which is not necessarily the case with CSI Miami, but now we're backtracking. Yeah, indeed. To that. Which, yeah, we got to look forward. Got to look forward. To the future, not the mm-hmm. past. What? Where are we headed? Segways. Yeah. Nice. That's, that's what they called me, you know. He is the, the king, king of, of the sideways. Yeah. Um, okay. So, yeah, uh, as uh, mentioned in the title of the episode, we will be talking about Ryan Johnson's Looper this episode. And um, okay, so I'm I'm debating whether or not to jump into. Yeah, I, I think we'll probably just jump into the summary, and then we'll talk about what we thought of the film. Um, Robert has seen it more recently uh, than I have, but. Uh, so here we go. Uh, time, and this is from the Wikipedia description. This is uh, not one of the summaries that I wrote. Time travel is invented by the year 2074, and though immediately outlawed, is used by criminal organizations to send those they want killed into the past where they are killed by loopers, assassins paid with silver bars strapped to their targets. Joe, a looper, encounters himself when his older self is sent back in time to be killed. So sounds about right. That's that's about right, and uh, th- there will be spoilers in this episode as we discuss uh, some of the the themes of it and that sort of thing. But um, but yeah, we'll get to those a little bit later. So if you haven't seen Looper and you don't want it spoiled, uh, just go back and listen to that. Uh, I don't know the Bicycle Thieves episode or something. Um, where oddly enough, we actually spoil Looper there too. It's a very strange turn of events. Uh, we were off on a bit of a tangent. So okay. Looper, uh, I will specify one of the notable things about it is that, uh, so Joseph Gordon-Levitt stars as Joe, the main character, and then Bruce Willis stars as uh, Old Joe, or Older Joe, as he is sometimes called, and uh, and so one of so it's it, it's interesting they put some prosthetics on Joseph Gordon-Levitt to make him look more like Bruce Willis, and they do a pretty good job, and so... Um, so we will try to specify Joe as opposed to old Joe. So there okay. we go. Okay. So first things first, um, a little bit of uh, intro leading into uh, the film. Uh, Ryan Johnson is a beloved filmmaker online. Uh, he directed Brick, which I think is marvelous. Have you ever seen Brick? Uh, I, I saw it uh Many years ago, and then last night, Aubrey and I started watching it again. Got about an hour into it, then had to do something else. But yeah, very much enjoying it. It's a great movie. You, you, you know, like from the first um, three shots, mm-hmm. that this is a guy who knows what he's doing. This is his first movie, and he just he just comes right out. It's very well made. He just has such a sure hand. He knows exact. Yeah. He knew exactly what he wanted to do. And oddly enough, it was an idea. If you're any fan of, if you if you were ever a fan of film noir while being young, you probably toyed with the idea of wouldn't it be neat to have a modern day film noir with a younger 
cast. Uh, but he actually said it in high school, and I think it works really well. The one thing that I actually don't care for is uh, that the pin is given a cloak. Because that's the one thing that seems inaccurate. And a cane. I'm even okay with the cane. I knew I knew some kids in high school who had who had to walk with canes. Um, but uh, but the cloak, that's what's anachronistic. That's something from, you know, the 1940s, a specific type of villain. So by giving him that, that's the one thing that took me out of it. Um, but everything else I, I really loved. I thought it was uh, just a lot of fun. What I told Aubrey, uh, what I appreciate about, about the movie is the fact that it takes itself seriously as that story, mm-hmm. uh, meaning uh, it doesn't feel gimmicky once you're into the story. Right. Uh, even though they're speaking with this, this uh, what would it be, like James M. Kane? Yeah, kind of Raymond pattern. Chandler. Raymond Chandler. Hard-boiled type hard-boiled, of dialogue. Yeah, yeah. Hammett, that kind of stuff. Um, even though they, they continue to talk with this, it feel, once they get into the story and, and the, the actors are invested in real emotions inside of that dialogue, which is stylized, obviously, um, you believe it. Yeah. And, and it, that makes it – it's not like um, – what's, what's the, uh, the equivalent would be – I was thinking of this last night – Bugsy Malone or Bugsy – uh, Bugsy Malone is a is a with all kids. It's like an yeah, all kids yeah. cast set in the forties. Yeah, and, and is it a musical too? I can't remember, but there's something about I don't it recall. That, that just it, the whole thing is just like not meant to be taken seriously as right. the story that is being presented. Whereas this one is, yeah, and uh, it's just a, an all around enjoyable experience. I think for me because I remember when I was in uh, college, I thought wouldn't it be great to write uh, a Shakespeare movie. That wherein it's set in high school, wherein it's like a, I don't know the the campaign for a senior class president or something like that, and they speak in this really heightened Shakespearean iambic pentameter. And yeah. I actually started writing this thing, and so I mean obviously I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't finish it, uh, but but that scratch is itched by watching strangely enough Brick mm-hmm. because it's doing the same thing, it's doing it so successfully. Um, and it's just an enjoyable movie to watch. I was actually going to compare it to adapting Shakespeare to a, a modern time where a lot of movies do it, but very few do it well. Right. And Brick could have been really self-conscious. Oh, it could sure. have been, you know, just very pleased with itself. And so like, but yeah, it committed and, and it's, and it's one of the things that put Joseph Gordon-Levitt kind of back on the map as far as wait, this is a kid from Third Rock from the Sun right. and Angels in the Outfield. And then he had kind of a one-two punch with uh, Mysterious Skin and Brick. Did you ever see Mysterious Skin? Yes. There's a filmmaker Disturbing. named... Yeah. There's a filmmaker named Greg Araki, and he, he directed it. And uh, I hate almost everything that he does, but I think Brick, I think uh, Mysterious Skin is uh, amazing. And it almost, as David and I sometimes say on the other show, it almost seems as though he made it so that he could show everyone that he was able to make a good movie and then went back to making sure. the movies that he always makes. Mysterious Skin is one of those movies that I, uh, only in rarefied instances will I bring it up in conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when someone might be, let's say they're even talking about Joseph Gordon-Levitt movies, what should I see? You know, that's one of the first movies that comes to mind. Yeah. Um, but I won't recommend it because it is so hard to watch. Oh, yeah. Such I mean, matter is extremely difficult. I recommend it with the caveat of, by the way, there's some really heavy stuff and it is hard to watch at times. And, well, even beyond that, like, I, I'm not certain that I feel comfortable telling people that I enjoyed watching the movie because mm-hmm. it's so well made. Um, 
because they're, they, I would, I, I just wouldn't want to fall in the conversation of, well, why did you like that movie? It's just so d- disgusting. Um, if, and so for that reason, I, I, I typically keep that close to the vest. Yeah. Or is it close to the chest? I, don't even know. I never know. I go back and forth between the two. Ch- vest. Ch- vest. Yeah. Bless you. Well done. So, um, but yeah, Mysterious Skin, in, in the confines of, of this podcast, wherein I feel like I'm alone with you, but we're actually being listened to, I, I, I feel free saying, please watch that movie. It is, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is incredible in yeah. that movie. Yeah, and the, the whole cast is good, but it's uh, but now we're we're getting uh, sidetracked. But anyway, um, although I guess there's the Joseph Gordon-Levitt connection, but it's just, uh, so Brick was so beloved by film lovers mm-hmm. uh, and then he made the brothers bloom which is fine did you ever I never, see it i never saw it I, I read about it for for today mm-hmm. uh, so that could at least be conversational in it yeah and it sounded like something i'd like yeah i, I don't know would it would it be i think so it, it kind of feels it's like if uh it's like if uh wes anderson made a con artist movie okay it kind of feels like that you know and i like ma- wes anderson what was that i know you do um, and maybe that's, but maybe that's the reason you wouldn't like it because it would feel like a knockoff. It's the reason that I hated. I don't remember now if I actually walked out, but I wanted to. And believe it or not, Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, I don't care for Napoleon Dynamite. I love at Napoleon all. Dynamite now, but the the opening credits, if you can recall, is this straight down shot, like looking straight down on a table, like a cafeteria table, let's say, and all these. Yeah, with the white stripe song. Yeah, and exactly uh, the white stripe song and the and the straight down shot and the perfectly placed food items on, on the trays. I was like, oh, it's just a Wes Anderson ripoff. And I was, at that time, when that movie came out, I was so over-devoted to Wes Anderson that I was like, I can't even watch this. It's like, yeah. it's sacrilege. Um, but now I love that movie. I still don't care for <laughs> it. Um, but, uh, yeah, and so, and then uh, you may recall that uh, on Battleship Pretension, we did a, uh, a listener survey of the 100 best directors of all time. I do remember this. And Ryan Johnson wound up on that list with two movies. Wow. Uh, and I, I think at the time, two movies and a very notable episode of Breaking Bad. Um, Wait, what, what did he direct on that one? Have you seen all of it? Yes. Fly. Wow. Yeah. Even And you know the one I'm talking about when I say that. Yes. And yeah. It's one of those episodes, though, that even... Even if you didn't know that he directed it and you knew who Ryan Johnson was, you'd still go, oh, oh, that episode. Yeah. It yeah. almost doesn't matter who directed it. I mean, I'm not saying that he did a bad job or did a good job. I'm well, just saying it's, it's just the the the, uh, the bottle episode nature of it just yeah. makes it very interesting. Yeah. And actually, and it, the, the episode really divides people. I myself go back and forth on whether or not I like it. There are times, like when he shows Fly's point of view, where it feels like, oh, okay, you, you don't seem to be trusting the bottle episode aspect of this you see well here we are tangent on a tangent but i i have a ron ryan johnson that's fine i have such a beef against uh, breaking bad for that exact thing you know there's the shovel cam you know there's the goggle cam or whatever there's the front door of the car cam whatever they can think of to put the camera on they'll do yeah and i'm like that's that doesn't feel like the show the show is trying to be something like it's trying to root itself in some sort of realistic um desperation and then mm-hmm. suddenly you're you're the car door, or you're the shovel, or you're the fly, and it doesn't it doesn't fit the show. Yeah, well, that's it the, makes me mad. It actually makes me mad. Too. Yeah, I I like the show for the most part, but it is the show's uh, occasional desire to be cool overall <laughs> over everything else that uh, that takes good. me out of it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so by the time Lo- so when Looper was announced, yeah, 
and the and what it was because it's a neat idea. Um, I mean, people went crazy. They, I mean, because this was going to be the big one. This is the one where Ryan Johnson was going to be out there, and the audi- and mainstream audiences were going to. I mean, it had Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Now that he was more popular, right? Uh, and it had Bruce Willis in it. I mean, it was going to be a big deal, and so. Uh, and it was. I think it did very well financially, for, especially for you know the budget. Um, Incredibly and it, positive reviews. Yeah, across the board. Yeah, and uh, I, as I tend to be uh, with anything that uh, my fellow film nerds are super excited about, I tend to go in a little cautious. Sure. And uh, and so I and maybe that caution caused me to focus too much on some of the flaws of the film, but um, I. But I think I still enjoyed it. It took me a while to get invested in it because that main character, while played very well by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, is hard to latch on to. Um, but yeah, uh, so eventually I, I did. I got into it. I enjoyed it. There's flaw after flaw, uh, with especially with the time travel stuff and the time parallels. Um, but we won't spend a lot of time on that as sure. the film itself specifically gives us permission not to do, which right. is one of the things I like about it. Um, but by and large, I would say I liked it, maybe even really liked it. And there are sequences that I love, but as a movie in general, I thought it was good, if not very good. It is, it is not to me great. Well, I, I don't think I would call it great, but I, I was thoroughly entertained by it when I saw it in the theater. I had my reservations with the time travel stuff and any kind of flaws that I might have found in it didn't come until the other day when I watched it again for the second time. And, uh... You know, you, when you can pause something and you're at the movies, you can't pause. Yeah. When you're at home, you can pause and go, wait a minute, what did you see? And rewind it and watch it again. You go, why did they do that? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, my estimation of it actually came down in terms of enjoyment. But my respect for it, conversely, went up. Because even in the face of those, what we want to call flaws, mm-hmm. um, by the end of the movie, I was, I, I, I just still really enjoyed it. It was just there's there's enough moving parts in it that are interesting that the flaws don't detract enough to keep those things flying. It's just really, really entertaining to me from beginning to end. Okay. But I, I agree with you, though, that the uh, the Joseph Gordon-Levitt character, young Joe, yeah. um, the makeup that they use for him in order to make him look like Bruce Willis, young Bruce Willis is off-putting. It's a little, it's a little spitting image-ish. You know what I mean? It's like... Like they tried too hard to make it. Yeah, it's it. like a caricature of Joseph Gordon. It's like a Mad Magazine drawing of Joseph Gordon Levitt walking around. It's 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 almost like a Dick Tracy yeah. uh, version. Yeah, of and him. and yeah. the and the reasoning behind it didn't didn't fly with me either. The reasoning is well, it's Bruce Willis and it's Joseph Gordon Levitt. They look nothing alike. But how many movies have we been asked to believe that very thing? And we maybe we don't, but we enjoy the movie anyway, and we don't fault it for because we know it's not the same person. Yeah. 30 years in the future we 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 buy it we suspend their disbelief i do think if you if you just throw the contacts in sure haircut contacts yeah and the way he behaves if he if he without the makeup and the way he portrayed young bruce willis which is not a caricature right it's not even an impersonation it's just a couple of mannerisms that he chose this 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 is quintessential um, Bruce Willis tone, you know, yeah. body language, and I'm going to do that. And he did it, and he's still Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's an amazing performance. But I think their decision, Ryan Johnson's decision to 
to plaster his face with that stuff was a mistake. Well, and also, and this is, I remember hearing that, uh, and I believe you you re- you watched like some of the special features of the film as mm-hmm. well uh, recently when you when you rewatched it on DVD. Um, that uh, that Joseph Gordon-Levitt like studied Bruce Willis to see, okay, all right, this is how I got to change this. And I remember when I first heard that, I thought, well, in theory, shouldn't Bruce Willis study Joseph Gordon-Levitt? I was thinking the since same thing. that's where he came from. Right. But and this is where maybe my own personal anger and cynicism comes in. It's like, but of course, Bruce Willis can't be bothered to do that. Right. You know, he's in. A, in I'm sure his attitude is, you're just lucky I'm in this movie. Uh, and so let the young kid, the young eager upstart, let him do all the work. Right. I'll just show up and be Bruce Willis. Well, the, I mean, the whole movie, Bruce Willis being in the movie begs the question, why? Why did he decide to do another time travel movie to begin with? Oh, on top um, of 12 monkeys. On top of 12 monkeys. Yeah. Um, so, but, but he did do it, I guess, because he trusted the director and liked the script. Yeah. Um, going into it, he must have, there must have been a conversation at some point where, they were like, well, we want to make sure that the audience understands that you're older, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. So let, maybe we'll do some makeup stuff. And he immediately says no. Yeah. There should have been a compromise. If they're going to do that at all, there yeah. should have been compromise. You're totally right. But absent Bruce Willis's uh, uh, desire to do that, mm-hmm. they should have just not done it at all. Because what, then, okay. because then to, the, to pull the effect to where Ryan Johnson thinks that he needs it. Oh, right. They yeah. have to do extra with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. So, yeah. I don't know, just the whole idea just kind of it doesn't make sense to me that they yeah. did that. I think it still gels together pretty well. I think the makeup works. I mean, they do make him look they they change his nose most most notably they change his nose. Mm-hmm. And then they throw the contacts in and all that. But they I think they do some stuff to his eyebrows mm-hmm. and all that. So they put they put and maybe a little too much work into it. And also, I'm somebody who and this this is very much just me, but anytime a film puts too much into an actor's appearance without it being like a you know, like a Jack Sparrow or something where it's just so remarkably different. I felt this way about um weak Steve Rogers in uh, Captain America where well we well we know what Chris Evans looks like and he doesn't look like that so we know that his head has been put on this weak body and it just takes me out of it um and then and in the same way you just like huh Joseph Gordon-Levitt looks weird yeah, like that's that's you think that first, and then you have to make yourself okay with it. I've never talked about this movie with anyone that didn't say when that subject came up. Oh, yeah, it was kind of cool. I liked it. They all say, well, e- either they'll say it looked weird, or they'll say if they're a little bit more savvy, they'll say, well, they didn't need to do that at all because yeah. we will suspend their disbelief either way. Yeah, but and that's and I don't know. Maybe they wanted to do it so that they could have you know the moment when the two characters are. Pardon me. The one character in two incarnations <laughs> yes. uh, are face to face, and they can have a nice moment where they cut, cut from his eyes to his eyes, and you see, oh, they look so similar. They immediately know what this is. But yeah, and so it's a movie. So I feel I feel kind of bad that we. It seems like a weird way to start the the discussion is talking about that makeup. But admittedly, that's one of the first things you're going to notice sure. and take note of uh, when you see the film. 
Um, that said, he, he is very good as Bruce Willis. As oh, yeah. Bruce Willis. Absolutely. Especially because he's not doing a straight-up impression. He's doing. He's saying, okay, Bruce Willis minus 30 years. Mm-hmm. What would that be like? And so it's just – so you see the mannerisms that we've come to expect from Bruce Willis, but you just see them – they're just now beginning to start in I Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I wonder if Bruce Willis on the set – it's just speculation – if Bruce Willis on the set saw – like I was watching Joseph Gordon-Levitt be him, but mm-hmm. younger, and became self-conscious enough that maybe he wasn't doing the very things that Joseph Gordon-Levitt picked up on and was doing. I want, I'm just... It's possible. I could see that happening. Uh, absolutely. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and so the... So that's, that's one of the central... As for, I guess to talk about the film, you first need to talk about the gimmicks of the film, and that is one of them, if not the main one. Um, but also the idea I would call of, time travel the main gimmick of the movie. It is, but we've seen that gimmick before. Okay. As opposed to, you know, having two actors play the same character, but that they make the young one up to look like the older one. Like, layering on this stuff. You know, this is not... This isn't Robert De Niro in Godfather Part Two, where they're like, okay, grow a mustache and slick your hair back. Okay, we got it. You know? Um, and so... Uh, so yeah, I feel like maybe that's the main the main gimmick of the film, and I think it's uh, with mixed results. Sure, but again, thankfully there's a good performance there, and they didn't just depend totally on the the prosthetic. But um, can you imagine a lesser actor? No. Wow. Here's the thing, though. Let me throw this out at you. I can't. I, I'm very happy that Joseph Gordon-Levitt played that role. However, any number of actors could have played the role of o- old Joe better. You think? Yeah. Um, what's your what's your gripe about Bruce Willis? Just that he's first off that okay, you know what? When people say, "Oh, he's just playing himself," that actually that concept doesn't bother me because playing yourself can be remarkably hard. Um, but it's just I just feel like he doesn't really bring a lot to the role from a from a character standpoint. I mean, we, he's given motivations and he plays those motivations, uh, but he is. At best, he is functional and effective. But I feel like the, he doesn't really take that role and make anything special of it. He's he's playing the Bruce Willis part, yeah. is what you're saying. Which is still fun to watch. There's a reason we like Bruce Willis as yeah. an actor. And so, especially with some of those lines where one thing that Bruce Willis does bring to this is the ability to cut through all this all the crap mm-hmm. that that other characters might be interested in um specifically in the diner there's when, when he and 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 his younger self are having uh, lunch and uh bruce and they start talking about time travel and he says look if we talk about it we're going to spend all day talking about it making right. little charts on napkins or whatever right best to just you know, so when he cut when he cuts through that and kind of in that moment he's sort of like John McClane, which is I don't have time to deal with this. I've got something I need to do. Um, kind of that put upon no nonsense kind of thing. That is what a Bruce Willis can bring to it. But there's not a lot of that, unfortunately. There's there's plenty of of that. I think the, I think the hobbling uh, aspect to having Bruce Willis in there at all is I mean you you have an expectation of what Bruce Willis is going to do in a movie. You right. have an expectation of what you like to would like to see Bruce Willis do in a movie because you've seen it him do it many times he saves the day with a gun basically yeah 
And so it, it feels almost like that has to be in the movie in order for the movie to live up to what it is yeah. in so many other aspects, which is it's a movie for people who watch this kind of movie. Yeah. And it's a movie for people who love movies. And whether it just be time travel movies or action movies, whatever. Yeah. But so if you if you decide that you're going to put Bruce Willis in a movie that is attempting to please the audience in every possible way, and you don't put two like a machine gun in each fist at some point is mowing people down, then then you've let the audience or you, you conceivably you could think that you're letting the audience down. So you have to have that scene. Yeah. Or And if, thankfully, and I'll put quotes around thankfully, uh the film does have that scene many times mm-hmm. uh in which he mows down dozens of guys with guns. Well that that's that's one protracted scene, basically. It's, yeah. Um but yeah, it's definitely there and it's definitely there for a while. Yeah. And so I, that, that's one of the other things. And I apologize that we, we seem to be starting with uh, complaints, and I guess we'll move into what we do like in a moment. Um, but uh, that's one of the other big things that I that I didn't really care for was the violence. Now, listeners know violence doesn't bother me, really. But if the violence seems like it belongs in a different film, and this film could be violent, a very specific type of violent, which it often is, which I'm fine with. But there at the end, when it turns into a run-of-the-mill action movie, and this movie is most certainly not run-of-the-mill, and then it just becomes this other thing, this whole other, it slips into this whole other genre, I found myself being kind of frustrated by it and just being like, oh, why did you... You didn't have to do that. I think, luckily, it it, it is only that for maybe 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, and, but and it's a crucial 10 or 15 It's minutes. a crucial 10 or 15 minutes because it's it's old Joe infiltrating the uh, the lair basically yeah. and getting the guy who is controlling the present um so it has to be there that scene and but once that's over and then we go back to the farmhouse mm-hmm. um it's not really that anymore which is good yeah so um it, it does the bruce willis thing for 10 10 minutes ish 15 yeah. minutes and then it's over there's a, just a couple of shots in that sequence though where it's like a, a close-up of bruce willis enjoying the fact that he's mowing people down yeah and that's where it goes over the top is is the yeah. is the way that scene is shot it, it almost feels like um in a certain way shoehorned in mm-hmm. th- that whole sequence it's like well we need the scene where bruce willis where old joe goes and takes care of business did it have to be as over the top and gratuitous as it was no that f- Again, I, I just have have these imaginary conversations that Bruce Willis is having with Ryan Johnson or yeah. with the producer saying, well, I, I want to do this. And, oh, okay, well, amp it up then. I'm sure that was already in the script before Bruce Willis oh, sure, ever yeah. attached. Um, but the escalation of it um, feels like Bruce Willis. Yeah. And it could also be this. It could also be studio involvement where it's just it's almost as though. I could definitely see the film having, and you know, I didn't look into this, so and maybe you did, but I could definitely see it being a situation where he says, "I want to make this movie." They're like, "All right, you, you need to have a star in it," and sure. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is not enough, um, and he's like, "All right, we're gonna have Bruce Willis," and they're like, "Oh, all right, but you got to have that Bruce Willis stuff in it." Right. Um, and again, mm-hmm. I'm just I'm I'm speculating, but basically, anytime I, <laughs> I am I am at my most comfortable speculating about studio involvement. Um, because my, you can never be too cynical. My question to that. you is: I know you like to do this. Uh, you, you said that any number of actors could have been old Joe. Who do you think would have been awesome 
as old Joe. So, well, hang on a minute. Your use of the word awesome is what's throwing me. Um, you mean awesome like high five, this is great, or just someone who could really bring certain things out in that character. Wouldn't you high five that? Well, I would, but you know what I mean? Like, awesome... The the violence the the violent sequences the action sequences you and I are talking about are in theory awesome. You know I what, see I mean? what you mean. And so there's a certain type of awesome that I tend not to like, and it's the pardon me the uh, Transformers level of awesome, right? Um, as opposed to you and I saying, "Hey, uh, that movie." Hang on, let me look at my shelves here. That movie about Schmidt was awesome. <laughs> you know, no one would ever describe that movie as awesome. Except in a certain way. And so if you're describing it like that, we're really getting to see this scene uh, or this this character and every bit of history that he has and carries with him and his level of regret and his level of frustration and his intense obsession with with controlling things. All of that. Who do you see? Well, there's a there's a few options. Uh, anytime you want intensity, you can always go with a uh, with like a Daniel Day Lewis, but he's too big for uh, not not too big, but a cer- he's too much of a certain type of actor for something like this. Vigo, Vigo would be great. He has that type of intensity mm-hmm. a lot of the time, um, and I'm also trying to think of actors of a, of a certain age. Right. Um, but like, yeah, it's. But now that you mention Vigo, now that he's the only one I can think of. Um, <laughs> He might be perfect. He might be perfect. Um, because there is something to him as an actor that makes you kind that can make you uncomfortable if he needs it if he needs you to be uncomfortable. Um, what was and it a Freud movie? A dangerous method. We know from a dangerous method that he would be okay with putting prosthetics on his face. Yeah, he'll be okay. He's gonna make it. Yeah. Um but it is it is one of those things where um you know, after seeing history of violence and Eastern mm-hmm. promises, he's okay with violence, but he also is very good at showing conflicted right. uh, characters and, and that sort of thing. Um, but at the same time, maybe, and one thing that I, in the last few years I've become really fascinated by, and we've, we've talked about this in this episode already, is uh, expectations that viewers bring to the film. And in right. this case, we have an expectation of Bruce Willis that he is the good guy. He's never the bad guy. Hmm. Except maybe in the jackal, but everyone forgot about that, and that's for the best. Um, but uh, he's the good guy; he's righteous. And early in the film, you get that feeling. This, uh, I guess, we're moving into the. We'll move into the stuff that we do like because okay. this is something that I really enjoy. Because the film, you think it's going to go one way, and it goes the other. By having old Joe lecture young Joe, you think you've got this wise, this wise guy who's got a. a a lifetime worth of experience lecturing this guy, this younger guy who is shallow and selfish. And it seems like that's what it is. And, and there's an, there's inherent pleasure in that, especially when it's somebody like Bruce Willis, who again has an air of cutting through the, the crap and just saying what's real, what's true. But, uh, and, and, again, you just assume that he's right because it's Bruce Willis and we've come to trust him on screen. Um, which is, by the way, one of the reasons that he works so well in Moonrise Kingdom. But that's 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 the thing is there that's a non-Bruce Willis part. I was thinking he, of that while you were talking about... Yeah, yeah, that he hits out of the park. I love him in that. If you could have brought a little bit of that to this movie. Yeah. I was thinking that. Yeah. But what they what they do... 
manage to uh, to accomplish is it becomes clear slowly and then much quicker that oh this guy is a the selfishness of the younger character has not worn off it has merely changed and with that change he's become more committed to it and that's when you realize oh this guy is kind of a bad guy there are other bad guys to be sure but this is a this is certainly not our hero right ryan johnson where did i read this i forget but he his intention was at a certain point in the movie to make uh to flip because at, at the beginning you don't kind of because of what young joe is doing he feels a little bit like an antagonist i mean he's doing all the wrong things yeah um and at some point you want him to be the protagonist mm-hmm. and that's when old joe shows up yeah. but not at first you're exactly right there's there, there's a there's a, a sense of the wizened older you know yeah the guy who's learned his lessons in life and now he's learned to love and all this thing all this stuff but he isn't. He has to become the antagonist so that young Joe can be the protagonist. And how many times, and this might go into the theme a little bit, so maybe we'll we'll return to it, but how many times have you thought, man, I wish I could go back and talk to the younger me about yep. the things that are really important? Right. As though you have it figured out now. You know, and that's the thing is the film, I think that's what's so intrinsically satisfying about that is he's getting to do what so many of us wish we could do only to discover the sad what i think is the sad truth that no we're all kind we're probably similar much more similar to our younger selves than we are comfortable thinking um it's just changed a little bit like the the things that drive us probably still drive us but in a different form sure you know and that is not a theme that is explored very much and it would have been very easy for him to do what we all expect and what we all want um, and pr- and provide us with a certain degree of wish fulfillment. Um, but the fact that he sa- – so not only does he not do that and not only does he not not do that, he gives us the impression he's going to do that and then does the opposite. And that is why – while I would not so- say that Ryan Johnson is one of the 100 best filmmakers of all time um, – that's why he is a solid writer and a very and a, genuinely I would say a great filmmaker because he looks to subvert expectations and I'm sure the next movie he makes is going to be equally he's always interesting yes um and so I uh so that that maybe more than anything from a thematic and from a character standpoint and from an uh, an expectation standpoint is maybe my favorite aspect of the film is I don't know. I like I like being tricked, but it didn't even feel like a trick. A trick. It feel it felt organic. But um, anyway, so uh, so moving on. Just in general, so you you like the movie more than I do. It sounds like, and perhaps if I were to watch it tonight, I might like it more. Um, what are some of the major well, things you like? I think I like it more, um, maybe because I'm forgiving it more. Okay. I, I've had a, you know several conversations with other people, and one of the things that has come up a couple of times, if not a few times, is is the sort of melding of the time travel aspect of the movie with with the uh, telekinesis aspect okay. of the movie. And it feels like too much. It's like, uh, you know, they tell you in Screenwriting 101, you know, that, that if, you've got, if you've got something like time travel, that's enough. Yeah, that's a high enough like telekinesis, concept. That's enough. Yeah. But if you take these two things and put them together, then, you've, then it feels unwieldy. And how do you fit those things together? Well, for me... Uh, 
call it breaking the rules, call it whatever you want to call it. Maybe it's a mistake, I don't know, but I, I liked the way those two things came together in this movie. Um, I liked the, the idea of, uh, if it's a time travel movie, introducing th- that uh, the, the idea of, oh, going back in time to, like, kill Hitler, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, except it's in reverse, because you're, you're following the, the present timeline with Hitler as a kid, and you get to like the kid. Yeah. And he's going to grow up to be the rainmaker, <laughs> which is like the Hitler. Yeah. Um, and Bruce Willis, who is becoming evil Bruce Willis, or I should say Old Joe is becoming worse as the movie goes along, um, is the guy that you want to be to go back and kill Hitler. Yeah. But the reasons are all wrong. Well, the, the reasons are actually all right, but his his intensity uh, at, the, at the cost of everything else around that reason um, is all wrong. Yeah. And so... I, I just I, I like that, and, and I don't know that there could have been another way that would have been more screenwriter one hundred and one. I don't know, but it doesn't it doesn't feel unwieldy to me. It's, I mean, you 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 get that part of the story a little bit late, maybe. I mean, you you get telekinesis at the beginning, and it feels a little weird. Okay, so we're in the future, and people have telekinesis. What does yeah. that mean? Um, well, it, that sets up the fact that some people, for instance, as a little kid, you know, could have you know the undue amount of that talent and could use it for ill effect i think i i'm i was one of the one of the people that was bothered by the incorporation of these two major things each of which can warrant their own film um but uh i think i think if he was going to do that which he did um no if um he he did it the right way which was establish it early and establish establish it casually by having it, you know, telekinesis is not a dangerous thing. It is not a weapon. It's just a, a it's a parlor trick. Yeah. Really. And it's unimpressive. Yeah. Because they have, they've all gotten used to it because they, they've come to the limitations of it. Right. The limitation is, hey, look at this thing I can make levitate. Isn't that neat? Incidentally, it's, it's really no different than somebody who can like roll their tongue. Right. Or something like that. Some people can do it. Some people can't. And in the end it's not going to make you any money, you know? And so, uh, so yeah, I, I feel like that's the way to do it. I feel like if he was going to do it, everything he did with it is the right way to do it. The question then becomes, should he have done it in the first place? And I think it, when the execution is that good, sure. I think he won't, I think he, he earned the right to do that. But, um, well, I fully agree. So, uh, I will say, as far as the things that I like, um, probably one of my favorite scenes of last year was the uh, the scene in which, okay, so Paul Dano plays another looper named Seth, mm-hmm. who gets put in a similar situation, um, and uh, in which his older self is sent back, and he hesitates and does not kill him, and he gets away. And they can't have that. They don't want to have an unclosed loop. And so, uh, so what, what the, uh, the criminals do, the organization does is they take young Seth and, oh, this is a disturbing sequence, disturbingly awesome. And I'll use awesome in that other, in that, that sense of the word we're talking about. Um, and so you, so then it cuts to older Seth as he's on the run and then he starts to notice something. He notices that, uh. On his arm is a scar, an old scar with a, I think, an address on it or something, and uh, 
and he noticed, oh, that's strange. And then he notices a finger disappear and then another one. And then major. Th- and so you realize that what they've started doing is they've taken young Seth into custody and they're, they're slowly but surely cutting things off of him uh, so that older Seth gets to this address because otherwise he's just going to live life as you know, with no arms and legs or tongue or anything like that. And so, so as he's making his way to the address carved into his arm, um, things start disappearing and it's quite horrifying it is. Uh, just to see him be walking and suddenly he lo- one of his he legs is gone. He goes to the, the brake and his foot isn't there anymore. Yeah. So his shoe just kind of goes off to the side. It's very yeah. unsettling. Now, here's the thing. Here's what I will say. The flaw? For, the flaw. Of course there's the flaw. Uh, it's, a, it's a major flaw. I had the same flaw with Time Cop mm-hmm. when I saw that and Frequency, which was... And, and they address it a little bit, that that the past is not set in stone, that there's always different eventualities. And so if someone from the future is interacting with the past, it's fuzzy until the moment it happens, and then you remember it very, very distinctly. That's different from something physical, though. That is different than something physical, yes. And so that's the thing is what you're – because let's, let's go back to when old Seth shows up and young Seth is going to kill him. And then – Old Seth runs away. Well, in the near future, they have taken young Seth captive and cut off his legs. Which means that when old Seth got sent back, he would not have had legs to run away with exactly. which to run away. Exactly. And uh, problem solved at that point. But there's there's the other thing. And this is where the... And we don't want to spend too long on the time travel aspect because there's, you know... Uh, contradictions and stuff because that's the thing is so if they were to cut off young seth's legs then when old seth shows up and he doesn't have any legs then young seth can just kill him but then if they were to, if that were to happen then and they, they wouldn't have they would not have had any to reason to cut off his legs it's the loop yeah it's the belt belt, belt strap loop strap strap loop there's like all these different kinds of conundrums time travel yeah. conundrums is just one of the classic ones yeah and uh and so that's the thing is after a certain point and again the film does say hey it's fine you're not going to figure this out you're going to be well, okay. also there's uh aubrey and i talked about that very moment again and uh, this is a movie that wants to please the audience and that's mm-hmm. a scene that will be talked about you know, yeah any group of people after the movie is like oh what about that scene where yeah and that's one of the ones we're going to talk about because it's just so graphic yeah. Um, and interesting because it's making you think about the whole loop yeah. aspect of what has to happen for them to close the loop. Um, and so you're fascinated by it as you're repulsed by it. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's I think it was the right decision to not allow the conundrum to keep them from doing yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, at this point, anytime you can try to make time travel seem scientifically feasible, but when it comes right down to it, it's. No matter what you say, it's basically just magic. So just acknowledge it as that. Yeah. And when I, I when you deal with time parallels, like there are certain logic, there's logic that you can bring to it, like what we just spoke about. But really, it's 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 fine. I'm fine with ignoring it. Um, I wasn't fine with ignoring it. There was really? there's an okay. aspect. There's one moment in the movie that I didn't notice the first time when I watched it um, last week, when uh, Bruce Willis shows up. First, he shows up with no hood. Mm-hmm. And then the whole thing transpires where he gets away. Yeah. And then there's the uh, the jump back to to see him show up with with the uh, hood on. Mm-hmm. There's this one shot or one little moment where he 
you know, and he kills him. He kills his old self, and then yeah. that's how he is able to live the life where he meets the woman in China, yeah. falls in love, she gets killed, he comes back to avenge her death or yeah. to keep her death from happening. Um, so I'll, um, so I, I couldn't understand why they would ever show the moment when he has the bag on his head. It, it, oh, it, it, didn't make, it didn't make logical sense. It makes story sense, but it doesn't make logical sense. And so, and I kept going over it and over it. And Aubrey and I talked about it for like forty-five minutes, just all the variations. And then I went online. I should have done this first. I went online, um, explained this. Ryan Johnson was, you know, the general Google question. Um, and the answer was uh, essentially a, a blow-off to the fans. It's like, well, I mean, you, you, I could give you a reason, and here's my reason, um, but that's not important to the story. It doesn't. It doesn't aid the story to know that loop or that that kink in the loop yeah. exists, and so it, I don't even know why we're talking about it. So he blows off the question. That made me think. Well, if the if the director, writer, director of the movie doesn't really care, then it just takes all the wind out of the sail of me caring. Hmm. Um, so I mean, come, I'm coming to the same conclusion you do, which is it's just magic. You know, it's just a yeah. story. Um, but it also kind of takes away a little bit of my overall enjoyment of the movie because. There's something very uh, satisfying when when nothing seems wrong with the time travel concept. Yeah. And no matter how many times you go over it, it's like, wow, that really seems to work. That doesn't happen very often. I think the only time it's ever happened, this happens for a, a, a rather oblique reason, but in Primer, uh, the more you think Which about it. Which I haven't seen. I'm stunned. I'm sorry. Uh, suffice it to say, it's a very confusing movie. It's a very complex movie. I don't think that it's convoluted. Uh, some people would say that, but it's not convoluted. It's complex. And there's a there's a point in the movie where you don't understand what's going on, but you get the sense that the characters have lost track of what's going on, too. Mm-hmm. And so that makes it kind of okay. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's like, oh, I'm off the hook from having to figure out how this is all working. But still, you want to figure it out, and you want to do the thing that Bruce Willis warns against with, like, we're going to be setting this up with straws and, and like napkins and paper, yeah. and we'll be talking about it for hours. Um, you kind of want to do that with a movie like Primer. You kind of want to do it with a movie like this until you hear the writer director saying, eh, it doesn't matter. It was kind of a letdown yeah. in a way. I mean, it, it, that's the thing is, I will say this I am, I'm of the opinion that the director cannot care all he wants. That doesn't mean that I can't. Um, this is true. And so, and in the same way, there are plenty of directors who care very much about a certain aspect to a story that you don't care. And about. I don't. Sure. So, so that's, that's fine. And oddly enough, that th- showing the hood, but then not, um, or not showing it oh, and then showing it. Um, I was totally okay with it. It took me a minute to realize what was happening. And I was like, Oh, this is how it happened. But that's the key. That's the aspect is the only way to change history is to know that this is a possibility yes and so that's what happens with and so you have to show that yeah you have to sh- basically show the the possibility of both timelines physically or visually you have to see that yeah. it can't just be because without that moment where where the hood is on bruce willis's head then you don't have the, the opportunity for young joe to go through time and you don't get to see right with your eyes the reason why he's so passionate about coming back yeah. and making it not happen. If you just, uh, it, could, it could have just been, maybe this was even a draft of the story, where, where old and young Joe are sitting across the diner table from each other, 
and Bruce Willis tells this really compelling story about why he came back. Mm-hmm. And that might have sufficed because then when you lay it all out on the on your own timeline across your own diner table yeah. after the movie, then you go, okay, that that's cool because it, it makes sense. Okay, so this happened. Um, and the fact that you didn't see it happen, it was just told to you, kind of removes the onus of it having to make complete sense. Yeah. Once you see it happen and then you see without the hood, then then it becomes a problem for me. Then it was yeah. like, then it becomes too much of a, a thing that you have to figure out and you have to like make logic, make illogic logical Yeah. in order to enjoy it. And I was like, Ugh. and I was, one part of me was like, thank goodness Ryan Johnson doesn't care because now I don't have to care. I can just enjoy the movie, yeah. which I did anyway. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I just, I, from childhood, I've loved time travel movies and I, I think one of the reasons is um, I, this is sort of a tangent. I'm sorry. That's fine. But um, you know how if you maybe you're not like this, but if you hear a song, you'll keep listening to that song over and over. If you can't understand the lyrics, it's like a, it's a part of you that wants to understand what's being said. Well, these days I'll just look up the lyrics, but I understand what I you're guess saying. True. Yes, um, it's kind of it's kind of like that with time travel movies. Time travel movies for me are are like the song that I can understand the lyrics to right away, and I want to figure it out, and I can't. Um, yeah. Most of the time, my brain can't wrap wrap itself around the idea, and so I keep thinking about it, and it's it's its own loop. Uh, one of the f- this goes as far back as I can remember. I can I was in love with the Planet of the Ape movies, mm-hmm. Planet of the Apes movies. Um, not just the first one, and the first one was fantastic all by itself, but the fact that the sequel, and the sequel to that sequel, and the sequel to that sequel, they made five of these, mm-hmm. brings it right back around to this vicious loop. I, they actually reach the loop by the third movie, but yeah. they ex- help kind of spackle the, the story with the with the third and fourth, uh, fourth and fifth movie. But I remember as a kid spending, I can't say that I was spending hours thinking about this, but any time it would come across my mind, I would sit there and I would ponder... Wow! If if Taylor hadn't gone into the future, then there wouldn't have been a ship for the monkeys to come back into the past. They wouldn't have had the baby in 1970s. Yeah, that would have been the monkey that led the revolt, that led to the existence of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. So where does it all start? Chicken or the egg? Yeah. And I would do this thing in my head all just I would I loved it, and um, since then, of course, there have been a billion time travel movies, and yeah. I I try to I don't try to see them all, but when I see them. It's the same thing. I'm sitting there and I, I get in this conundrum in my mind, and I love it. I just love time travel movies, and uh, I don't know where I was going with that. I think the if I one go back in time, I'd have a point. <laughs> well, it does. It's something that gets me as well. Is I so desperately want it to make sense, and I can't make it. I can't let it not make sense. And eventually, I have to be like, I'm not going. I'm not going to think about this. <laughs> I'm just because I'll go insane. And the film, again, if the film gives you permission, what it could have co- characters that are confused or it could have the characters address it and say, don't worry about it. And they might as well be looking at the camera when they say it. There's but, no um, doubt in my mind that, that maybe that moment wasn't or that, that bit of dialogue at the diner scene might not have been in the script. And they're they're like going over the script yeah. with Bruce Willis and the other actors. And they're like, you know what? Why don't we just cut this crap out? Yeah. Young Joe doesn't have to know all this stuff. And let's put that in the movie for the audience as well. Yeah. Uh, there's part of me that's like, I don't necessarily need the explanation, 
I can do that myself afterwards. But yeah. but to completely dismiss the idea, I mean, you're making a time travel movie. If you're making a time travel movie, you know that there's this automatic block of people. They're going to see it just because it's a, it doesn't have to be a Bruce Willis movie. It doesn't have to be a Ryan Johnson movie. It's just a time travel movie, and I love this stuff. I love sci-fi, and I love this yeah. kind of sci-fi. And, and I love trying to dig my way through the logic of it all. And then to look at the – if you're that audience member and you get that from Bruce Willis, it's like, well, screw you, pal. Yeah. I'm still going to think about this at my own diner yeah. afterwards. And, and therein lay the problem is then you're thinking about something the filmmaker wasn't thinking about, and you're not yeah. going to be left with any kind of satisfactory explanation. But the truth is, even with the, with the kinks in the, uh, the time travel narrative, it's still really well thought through, and it's still really compelling. Oh, yeah. And it's a great story. Yeah. Uh, telekinesis – yay or nay doesn't matter to me but all all of it just culminates very well and the sacrifice at the end yeah is i was i was actually i was not expecting that i didn't know anything about it going in and when he turns the gun on himself i I realized i just yeah jumped into the future well and it also just it, it gets a there's a lot of disturbing elements to this film surprisingly so uh one is that one, the scene we've talked about, but also there's the the concept because at the end when Joe turns the gun on himself because he realizes that old Joe in attempting to kill the the young rainmaker the young Hitler as we've been talking about him um, in attempting to do so he's going to make a mistake that will in, in that will in turn create this thing he's trying to destroy right and so. The only way to stop that is for young Joe decides the only way to stop that is to uh, kill himself, and then that will change the future. Um, and so he he shoots himself, and then there's this look on old Joe's face right before he disappears, because of course he would disappear. He's not there. He's not alive. Um, now, ostensibly, the, you know, it's almost as though the minute young Joe gets the idea to kill himself, old Joe should go away. Um, or one could say old Joe should never be there because, because he he killed himself. He kills himself. He wasn't there to come back. Right. So there's a lot of, there, you know, that's the thing is once you start heading down that road, you're like, oh, geez, okay. So so rather than think about when he should have disappeared, it's like, okay, well, let's just accept that he disappears now. But the look on his face is, th- this is a moment where I think Bruce Willis finds something in the character. And it's the look of despair of, it's not that I'm going to die, it's that I'm about to have not existed past the age of whatever. Hmm my whole life's worth of experience and emotion and whatever is going to be blinked out of history and existence. I'm not merely going to die. It's more than that. Right. And it's very, the, the concept of that is very disturbing. Yeah. The idea of ceasing to be and not merely now, but forever, forever. Yeah. It's very, it's, and the look on his face kind of conveys, there's a look of almost confusion and almost as though he's trying to scan his memory to remember something for anything, and there's nothing. But there's there. nothing there. Nothing there beyond that moment. Yeah. So it's a it's a it's a really nice moment. Yeah. I mean, it's it's sad, but it's also heroic. But for that character, it's just 
confusing and old Joe. Yeah, and for uh, terrifying. Yeah. So, yeah. So the I film, wonder, though, if I mean thematically, if you're talking about the 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 theme of sacrifice, which it becomes in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if if maybe there could have been instead of the confusion and the sadness and the despair of having no life or memory of, or existence beyond that moment he in a flash recognizes that i've done the right thing maybe for the first time in my entire life oh yeah and it's it could almost be dare i say almost like a salvation sort of moment for old joe for old joe yeah because he's like um i may never exist again but i've i've also i also now understand in a flash because of young Joe's yeah. um, act that he he's actually saved a lot of people a lot of despair yeah. and pain um, including including the people that I have hurt in an attempt to do what he's doing right yeah right because that's the thing old Joe by the way also uh he kills some innocent people on his way yep. to accomplishing his his goal. The other thing is, uh, I mean, practically speaking, uh, in the time that Young Joe uh, gives himself to narrate his his own heroic sacrifice before he does it, he could have kept running and he could have killed Old Joe with the with the blunderbuss. Maybe, but I think he was just enough out of range, and they do establish that the blunderbuss does not have a. A very long range, so I guess there's that. Hmm. That's the theory, I guess. Yeah, but then you wouldn't have had a nice sacrifice, right? Yeah, story, which so. you do. And I, I remember uh, having enjoyed the movie up to that point, and then when that happened in the theater, I was like, "This is." Th- it just raised it up a notch in terms of uh, m- meaningfulness, if that's a word. Yeah. Um, and it's a nice payoff too, because. In that moment, Joe realizes it's it's that idea of, well, I might catch up to him, I might not. So there's really no way to know. But in a way, I already have because he's right here. He's me. He realizes what the criminals realize in trying to track down old Seth is, well, we've got two options, not just the one. It's trying to find two needles in a haystack instead of one Mm -hmm. and and either one will do um and so he comes to that conclusion and it comes to this and maybe we'll maybe we'll uh transition into the theme here but and then we'll talk about the the companion film very briefly um but uh this idea and i just wrote it down is this idea that is it's not a new idea by any stretch but that so you can't change the past as shown by old Joe in trying to change the past, he only confirms it and you can't really control the future. The only thing you have any power over is what you are doing right now. Mm-hmm. And that is, that is the conclusion that Joe young Joe comes to in that moment is this, this is the only control I have. This is the only power I have is over me and what I'm doing. And, uh, so yeah, so that that idea, that desire, and and the in, inherent desire to wish we could change the past, and you and realizing we can't, so we'll do everything we can to learn from the past to try to control the future, right? And just the weird 
way that all these things intersect. Uh, that will when certainly all you ever have is right now. All you ever, yeah. In the end, that's all you've got. But the movie, in a way, kind of—I uh, don't—I don't know if this is a theme or a flaw or what—but there's there's also the the kind of hint that while we do only have control over the present, the structure of the movie m- makes you think that even that is overvalued. Let me explain. Mm-hmm. The uh, there's a, a bit of narration toward the beginning when when uh, young joe is laying out the exposition of what what's going on like there's you know there's uh in the future time travel exists they're sending this stuff back and we've been dispatched to you know uh to kill anything that that pops back even ourselves yeah when it's ourself it's closing the loop um and all of this is it attracts the kind of person that doesn't look forward yeah. he said he kind of sardonically says um when he's when he explains at some point you're going to have to kill your older self and then you know that you only have 30 minute, 30 years from that moment yeah. to live because they'll send you back and you'll kill yourself yeah um so his narration sardonically says something like uh this line of work doesn't exactly attract the most forward thinking people yeah um and it it does attract what he's saying is it's attracting the kind of people that are in a sense living for the moment because they know that uh, every time somebody pops onto that tarp, yeah. you know they're going to get a, a load of silver uh, bars. You know they have to give pay Caesar what is his, but they yeah. get to keep most of it and live the life that they want to live. Um, and so, in a sense, it's, it's almost a, it's almost putting down that frame of mind as well. Yeah, the live for the moment people are the very people that would sign up for this kind of thing because they're not thinking about the fact that you know they're going to. Right. Definitely die in thirty years. Um, I don't want to negate your point. I was just that's no, no. That's my that's mind. part of it as well. Is recognize, <laughs> recognizing that you only have power over right now is not the same as saying right now is all that matters. True, um, true. You know, yeah. which is one of, one of the many reasons why I hate that the John Lennon song. Imagine, mm-hmm. imagine all the people living for today. That sounds awful. I have to assume society would crumble if everyone like, was living LA. for today. So, um, but yeah, so I did want to talk about some of the, uh, some of the themes of this film. Um, can I read this? Cause it's kind of on the, Oh, on, go ahead. Not to prolong this, but I don't even know if this makes sense. Okay. Cause I'm not sure it made sense when I reread it, but I said, Looper is about the protection of memory, the overvaluation of the present and the fear of the future. The memory part is Bruce Willis comes from the future to ensure a path toward his tragedy never happening. Mm-hmm. That's protection of memory. Right. Um, the future is Joseph Gordon-Levitt, young Joe, uh, clinging to the illusion that he has some measure of control over his future by attempting to kill yeah. old Joe. Um, the present is what I just said. All the while, the very mechanics of the system are set up to draw people in who are only thinking about the immediate monetary payoff for their work. Mm-hmm. Um for me, that's just when I, I sort of sat down and thought through that, I was like, that makes this movie uh, one to look at mm-hmm. if you're wanting to write your own movie or or praise a movie in certain terms. Uh, it's just so thought through yeah. uh, in terms of that theme. It's like it covers the past, the present, and the future in a couple of different ways. 
And as far as personal application, it basically says, and it's something we return to on the show over and over again, is the idea of finding your identity in something. Mm-hmm. And when dealing with time, uh, you sort of, talking about past, present, and future, if you find your identity in any one of those more than the others, then you'll wind, you're going to be in bad shape one way or another. Right. Um, as you just as you just specified, none of those care. It doesn't work out for anybody that does. It doesn't work out for old Joe. It doesn't work out for young Joe, uh, in any sense of the word. And so, um, and so, really, you because in that moment when he makes that sacrifice, in that moment he is understanding the import, the equal importance of all three. He understands what that what he does right now is going will change exactly the future, right. but maybe not the way he would prefer because he would he would have preferred to have that thirty years. And in a weird kind of way, although he he even at that moment might not fully understand it, he has done the first thing that it was not for himself in his yeah. entire life, and it, it was for uh, Emily Blunt and it was yeah. for the kid, um, and not for himself. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't because he felt like old Bruce Willis, old old Joe is like, you know, he's just this de- decrepit old man. You know, he's like completely corrupted. I, I should probably. He's not thinking about himself even in that respect. Right. He's thinking about the prolonged life of these two people who he's now come to care for in a way that he's never cared for anyone else in his life. And oddly enough, that you say that he's never cared for anyone else in his life because I'm sure old Joe would say, "No, I cared about my my wife in that way." To the point where I don't want to lose her. It's like, yeah, but that then it's not about her. It's about you losing her. Exactly and, right. This I is mean, a, I have to assume a lot of terrible things have been done in order to avoid loss. Well, I mean, one of the negatives of, of t- the time travel gimmick uh, in general is when you really think about the the motives for time travel, it's, it's, it's almost always self-involved. Mm-hmm. It's like you could be that guy who... Who in like in Planet of the Apes, you know Taylor. The reason he explicitly says this at the beginning of the movie, the reason that he decided to go uh, on the space journey was mm-hmm. because he hated humanity. He he was like he. I mean, he's an ex- exceptionally cynical man. Yeah. And so that's obviously that's not time travel per se. It's not building a machine and then yeah. going into the past to fix something. But it's that's such a in so many of these kinds of stories. That's the motivation. It's it's what's the motivation in a in a in the time machine, you know, mm-hmm. the original story of this kind, yeah, um, is our our hero uh, hates where mankind had come by what was it, eighteen nineties or eighteen eighties? I don't know when that was written exactly, nineteen hundred. Uh, around there, yeah. Um, and so he he goes back in time, and then he goes, what is it like thousands, hundreds of thousands of years in the future, which is ridiculous. Yeah. But um, when the motivation is is something like that, is something like um, I hate I hate where life what what has become of humanity and you escape then you are not doing what you can to adjust to to right. make yourself better right and hopefully influence other people to be better as well thus you know and two people and two people two people and two people you know and then a billion people are also good you know it's yeah. not going to happen but at least in your world um to stick around even if you have that technology is so much bigger you know of you yeah <laughs> than to hop in the machine and go where you think it's going to be better. Yeah, it's it's putting your own interpretation of things, not merely on, uh, your own comfort, but it could also be your own philosophy. 
of everything is terrible, but it's also that I, it, the philosophy of if I stay and try to make things better, it probably won't be globally. It'll probably maybe just be a few people. Yeah. And really, who cares? What's the point of that? And it's like, well, that few people, even if there is no ripple effect, even if it's five people, that's still five people that you've affected positively. Yeah. But that's the thing is you have a character, you know, in Planet of the Apes who decides that it's not I would rather remove myself completely than stick around having to deal with all the crap that everyone else does and maybe only affect a handful of people. Right. You know, and just if it's not going to be global, then what's the point? If it's not going to be, you know, and and I can't think of anything more selfish than if I personally can't change the world, then I might as well leave. Right. <laughs> you know, um, but uh, I was just thinking uh these things are just kind of hit me now as we're talking about it, but there's a there's a weird parallel in. I have no idea if you like this movie or not, but Donnie Darko. Oh yeah, I do that. Yeah, uh, where he it's it's a similar kind of sacrificial move at the very end, where yeah, he, you know the girl that he's met because he's met her is in this terrible car accident where she dies. Mm-hmm. Um, in order to spare her from her own death, he is willing to go back in time. What is it, a couple of weeks before he met her? Um, and 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 uh, and die from the, the thing that crashes in his house. Yeah, you know, that kills him, and he's okay with that because now. But but she'll never know who he was. She rides by on the bike at the at the end of the movie and goes, "What happened? Oh, that poor family!" And then rides on, unaffected. Um, but that's in both cases, it's this suicide. Yeah, and it's. I was thinking about this earlier today, just about how how much I uh, agreed with and enjoyed the fact that it was a sacrifice at the end because it, it does make it feel like it like the movie itself means more. It felt like that way at the end of uh, Donnie Darko and this mm-hmm. movie. Um, but what we're talking about really is suicide. And is suicide Another, ever really the answer? Well, you could say suicide is the killing of oneself. One could also say it is the death of self. Ooh, look where we arrived. Well um, because that is what we're... It's it's basically recognizing... Because when you think about it, and to bring up Donnie Darko, which is not the companion film, um, and now we won't actually have a great deal of time to talk about the companion film, because of course, how did we? How did I not think that we were going to go along? Um, but, uh, but yeah, the... Um, there's the, this idea with, with Donnie Darko. His sacrifice means that this girl's not even t- going to know that he sacrificed himself for her. Right? She's not even going to know him, really. And so, at that point, it's there's so there's such a level of sacrifice there because he stands to benefit nothing. He'll never know. He'll she'll she'll never know. He'll never know. But it's for the great. It's for this greater good. It's out of pure love that he is doing this, because and there's no self regard in in his actions, um, just as there are no self, there's no self regard in Young Joe's actions, um, as opposed to the main character in our companion film, uh, which I will get to in a moment. First, I'm going to read off some stuff. I've as always, I've got some some uh, quotes from various sources. Uh, so, uh, one is from a, a writer named uh, Bergen Evans. I first was made aware of this quote from Magnolia, but uh, it came from an actual guy. Uh, 
We may be through with the past, but the past is not through with us. Mm. I, I just like throwing that out there. It's a good one. Uh, another one is from Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, in which MST3K, sorry, Mystery Science Theater 3000 creator, Joel Hodgson, was talking with Jerry Seinfeld, and they were sitting in a 50s diner, and Seinfeld was asking, what, you know, there are so many of these 50s diners. Why, why are we always looking back? And then Joel Hodgson says, when you look back, you know what you're going to say. You know what to say about the past, and you don't know what to say about the future. You know, the past seems safe. We all feel like we've got it worked out. We've got it conquered. Like, oh, no, hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, we, we got it worked out. And so we feel safe in saying anything about the past. One thing that always fascinates me, and it happens a lot these days, is when people say, get on the right side of history. Mm, they it's do like, say that a lot. It gets thrown out, you know, just... With any number of of uh, social issues, mm-hmm. um, people say, "Get on, you know, I want to be on the right side of history." And it's like, yeah, but you say that based on on what is to us history. We don't know, and that's the thing. As hard as you try to be on the right side of history in this area, you might be on the exact wrong side in another area that you're not even thinking about. Right? You know what I mean? And so, just to act as though this thing I'm doing because it is hasn't so, coming up, come up as a talking point on right MS. NBC or something. Indeed, yes. MSNBC is the correct, that's the correct uh, <laughs> channel to, or Fox. network to discuss. Or Fox, I suppose. Um, except wow. no one takes that seriously. Like, it's, everyone just assumes Fox is a joke, and it kind of is. But uh, people do not think MSNBC is a joke, which is unfortunate, because that, is, that network is a joke. What about MST3K? MST3K, that is no joke. Which is weird, because they're making jokes. Mm-hmm. Um Sorry, I tend not to get political, but I just, I have no patience for MSNBC. So, um, okay. And again, I don't have a great deal of patience for Fox either. So, but yeah, it's that idea of, of the future is uncertain, and so we're scared of it. We feel like we've conquered the past, um, which is not really true, I think. Um, okay. Wait, that was a big statement, and you're just going to move on. I was going to move on. But but you know what? if you want to if you want to dissect it a little bit no I mean you you say that uh, we haven't conquered the past we feel like that we've conquered the past but really we haven't I mean that's that's a big deal because mm-hmm. you're speaking to you know uh, decades of psychology yeah in your own life meaning the things that have gone wrong things that have gone right oh yeah I know that it's things that are still affecting you to this day that maybe shouldn't but they do are you allow them to. Mm. Or you want them Maybe to Maybe the past is affecting that statement that I just said yeah. about the past. What it's do you like think of uh that? it's like Kirk. Speaking of time travel, um in was it Star Trek five? I I, I may the have ba- actually the bad one? It, it, they say it's the bad one. I haven't seen it in a long time. It might not be as bad as they say, but it probably is. Um when he says he's he's confronted with the possibility of was it Spock's brother or something kind of washing away all the pain mm-hmm. in Kirk's life to make him a happy human being? And Kirk looks at him and says, I need my pain. I want yeah. my pain. I think that's most people. Most people are, and I was like this for a long time, where I was like, I want to be a writer. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to I hold on to all those things that really bring me down, because I think I can draw from that to make really well-rounded characters. It's just a bunch of BS, mm-hmm. is what it is. Because if you're not working through your past and mm-hmm. putting the past in the past, if I can, is that cheesy to say that? Say no, it that way? it's fine. Then you're, then you're stuck in the past is what you are and yeah. you don't even realize it um so Kirk's wrong I guess is what I'm saying stands to reason I think what I mean what I meant when I say we feel like we've conquered the past is we 
we know what has happened. Let's let's stick with just our own lives. We know what has happened, and we know what should have happened, or what, what we, we would have liked. To what happen. we would have liked to happen. We do tend to get those mixed up. Um, you know, for example, and this is one that I, I cite a lot because I think about it a lot. Is I would you know, my dad should not have died. I would have pre- certainly I would have preferred he not have died. And I often and you know various times in my life I would think back. And say, oh, before this event, that's when things were going well. That's when, you know, and then this changed it. And my whole life was changed. That shouldn't have happened. Right. You know, so when you see something 2020, you see the problem areas and you feel like if this were an equation, I would know exactly, you know, what to do. I know what the variables are, but I know what the constants are. The constants are the good things that should stick around. The variables are the things that if I had a time machine, I would go back and I would change it. As old Joe is trying to do, but it's also that idea of of not recognizing. Oh, my relationship with Jen early on was very much interwoven with my grieving process. Uh, we went on our first date, I think, like five weeks after my dad passed wow. away, as a function of me being like, "Well, hey, life's short, so uh, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to ask her out, even though I felt like I would wait." Um, and who knows what would have happened if that, if he had not passed away. And at this point, and this is a weird thing to say, but I'm, I love her more than I miss him. It doesn't mean I don't love him. It doesn't mean I don't miss him. But it's one of those things where, you know, I, it's, do, do I have to choose? It's, that's the thing. When you start thinking about the things that you would like to have changed, but how they might have informed good things that mm-hmm. came from them. So it's not a function of I, I, I need my pain, but it's just it's uh, holding on to your pain artificially, I think, is probably not a good thing. And right. there's plenty of stand comedians and artists that say that. Um, but uh, but yeah, trying to give everything equal uh, weight and recognizing that you can't change it anyway. It's a thing that happened. And so I will actually now read this quote that I was not uh, anticipating, but. So, um, so this is from C.S. Lewis. We ought to give thanks for all fortune. If it is good, because it is good. If it is bad, because it works in us patience, humility, and the contempt of this world and the hope of our eternal country. Um, and that, and that goes to, I guess, I guess I'll start reading, uh, some Bible verses now. Um, this idea of, because when we, when we fret, about the past or the future, what we're really saying is there's what there's what we would like to happen. We would like our lives to be pretty easy, by and large. We don't want to lose anybody. We don't want to. We want to have money. We want to just. We have an idea of what we want to happen, and if does if it doesn't go that way, then we feel like some mistake was made. And and sometimes if we you know if we're Christian, sometimes we'll attribute that to God and say God really dropped the ball on this one, or God is malicious, or something like that. So, um, so I'll read, um, oh, hang on. Let me make sure I've got this right. Okay. So this is Genesis fifty twenty, and this is from the story of Joseph and the amazing Technicolor dream coat. Uh, Joseph says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. It's complicated. It's a little complicated. And then, uh, Romans eight twenty eight. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. 
and that speaks to this idea and at uh at the church that uh, robert and i attend uh, our pastor has been going through uh genesis and he's and he's gone through the story of jacob and a lot of a lot of bad things happen often as a function of jacob doing bad things uh but you it's that idea that god allows these bad things to happen for the greater good the greater good might be yours well sorry it might be yours directly but it is the greater good, which is to say God's greater good. And if you are indeed a, a follower of Christ, then God's greater good is, is yours. And so we wind up, again, Donnie Darko is not the companion film, but we wind up like Donnie Darko, who stands to gain nothing from it, and no one even knows what it is he's done. But he's done it for the, he's done it as selflessly as possible for the greater good. And, Although- and, and then when he comes back... Uh, and then when he comes back, he's actually laughing. There's a, but it's not a maniacal laughter. It's a laughter. Uh, it's kind of a, a laughter of freedom because in that moment he does seem to embrace his role in this thing that obviously he'd prefer not happen. But he recognizes the good that can come. But well, we see why time travel, if you have the opportunity, might not be the best thing to do in con- in the context of what you just read from the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, who's to say that Jenna Malone? That's a girl, right? Yeah. Jenna Malone's life would not have been much better. Um, yeah, it's in some way. Uh, obviously, she dies. In the, I guess yeah, that, I guess that. So her life would not have been better. Her her life would not have been better. Maybe he should have just come back in time enough to fix the car. I don't know what it was that actually killed her, but he doesn't have to off himself. But right. But now I've I've gone off track. I'm sorry. But um, and so I so I do want to uh, and and a lot of when dealing with the future again mixed. Worrying about the color, uh, wor- worrying about the future, colored by our feeling of having conquered the past and knowing what should have happened, which often again is what we prefer to have happened. Um, it really just comes down to uh, worrying about loss, a loss of any number of things, but uh, making sure that everything is just so. And of course, when you when you make loss the ultimate evil, then you wind up like Bruce Willis, who is willing to cause other people loss so that he doesn't have it. But uh, anyway, so uh, I'll, this is a quote from Bruce Willis's character, Old Joe. You don't understand. We don't have to give her up. I'm not going to give her up. I'm going to save her. Hmm. Because in the future, his wife gets killed as they're trying to, to get to him. And so he's going to go back and try to make sure that doesn't happen. And so... And it's that kind of thing. It's, I'm not going to try and save her. It's that do or do not, there is no try. I'm going to save her. You know, uh, we don't have to give her up. I'm not, it, it, there's an interesting progression. Um, we don't have to give her up. I'm not going to give her up. I'm going to save her. It's these three sentences in a row. And you just see. It's almost like he's talking himself into his level of passion. Oh yeah. No question. In that one statement yeah and that's the thing is he says that shortly after joseph gordon levitt says tell you what show me a photo right show me a photo of her and if i see her i'll walk the other way and then then she won't die but bruce willis so it's it really is like the donnie darko thing but bruce willis doesn't want to doesn't want to not have had her in his life. So it's ultimately selfish. It is ultimately selfish. Because so, if he really loved her, he yeah. would let her live. Yeah, even but if it meant depriving himself of her. He um, he must think that you know her life was a lot better because she met him too. Maybe, although he certainly doesn't seem to describe it that way. No. But um and so 
so I will use this next quote to get us into the companion film, which we'll talk about very briefly. Uh, the character Chris Kelvin, you love that which you can lose yourself, a woman, a country. Um, because if we're dealing with, if we're worried about loss, then loss is the ultimate evil and love specifically just what we love becomes the ultimate good. And then we'll do anything we can to avoid losing that. And so, so now we arrive at our companion film, which is 19, uh, 1972's Solaris direct by, uh, Andre Tarkovsky, which I saw for the first time, uh, last week in preparation for this episode. Um, I had seen the 2002 Steven Soderbergh remake, which I remember liking a great deal. Um, and then someone said, Oh, you should see, uh, the original, which explores a lot of the same themes. And I picked it as the companion film because knowing that I would have to watch it well, that's caused me to great to watch it. It had been sitting on my shelf for a long time. I had gotten it for and Christmas. And now that you've seen it, do you, are you, do you stand by picking this one over the uh, Soderbergh one? It's hard to say. From a thematic standpoint, they're pretty similar. Um, almost exactly the same. And so I could make, this, I could make the same points about either one. Um, but I do think that the nature of what it is, it's, a, it's a, another science fiction film in which uh, these guys are exploring this uh, planet. And the planet seem, it, it seems to be living. Mm-hmm. And, uh, or rather, I think in the, in the new one, it's the whole planet. In the old one, it's a lake. No, it's, it's the entire planet. It's the entire planet? The planet is made of water, basically. Oh, okay. Or it's covered right. by water. Okay, so it's a, it's a planet-wide lake. Right. I feel like that's, it's I feel like ocean. you don't, uh, no, let's say ocean then, yes. Ocean. Um, and so, so yeah, so it's, it's sentient. It doesn't seem to really communicate directly, but they know it's alive and it seems to be able to read your mind and project things that you seem to subconsciously want. Would you say that's a, uh, how else would you describe it? It might not it? be want so much as, uh, there are other more negative emotions like guilt yeah. and, and loss that it seems to be responding to and the, uh, manifestations of these among the crew mm. are are more more drawn from regret mm-hmm. um kelvin's manifestation of his greatest guilt or feeling is is his uh his wife who committed suicide yeah when uh, uh at some at some point after they had already split up if yeah. you remember right um and he he had moved on to another city or something like that, and she she had already started sensing that he didn't love her, yeah, uh, as much as she wanted. So she decided not to go to this new city with him. And then some at some point after that, she commits suicide. So he's he's like saddled with this tremendous guilt yeah. over her over. Her and death. she even says, "I'm going to do this," as he is walking out, and he says, "I I felt like she might have." meant it but to go back is what but in case she didn't mean it this isn't obviously what he said but what he's basically getting at is if she didn't mean it then she's saying it so that i'll go back right so i'm not going to give that to her on the off chance she doesn't mean it and it turns out she did she meant it so um so obviously i mean there's a lot of guilt with that Mm -hmm. um and so yeah so it's this guilt over someone else and that is i mean guilt is a function of our past and wishing that we could have done this thing and that if we did everything would have turned out much better and undoubtedly if he had if he had gone back maybe he could have made things better or maybe he could have just delayed it a week 
or something like that. There's no way to know. Um, and so, yeah, so he is on this space station and, uh, then his, his wife, who's been gone for 10 years, shows up on the space station Mm -hmm. and, uh, and he immediately is, he suspects, well, she's dead. This is not correct at all. I don't like this. And so he, uh, puts her in like an escape pod and sends her away and then she's back uh, an- another day and he realizes oh okay well I can't just send her away because there's something inside me my guilt uh, whether it seems to be an active part of me or not the the planet seems to be sensing this and we'll bring it back and we'll bring her back so there's no point in my sending her away and so but she also seems to know what she is she knows she's not the real woman um, but as time goes on and he spends more he spends more time with her he gets more committed in every sense of the word, because um, he starts going a little crazy, um, he becomes more committed to this thing, and he starts to kind of lose some of his sanity. But I also wonder how many of us, if we were if we were faced with the the thing that we lost, whatever it might be, and we have the opportunity to be given it to be in its presence again how many of us would not wind up in his situation? Um, and eventually with, with the film, um, he starts to, I believe, reside on a small island in that ocean, um, implying, and that's the, that's the last but image. At a certain point, she, she kind of disappears. She decides she's going to go away. Yeah. This uh, fabrication of his, yeah. his wi- former wife. And... One of the other characters says to him, one of the other scientists on the space station says something like, she, she'll she come back, or she might not, but you just don't know. Yeah. You have to decide what you're going to do. And he decides, yeah. we we learn that he decides that he's going to essentially live on the on the planet. Yeah. Hoping that she comes back. Yeah. But he's on this uh, this little little island, you're right, that, that uh, upon which is built a fabrication of his uh, his childhood home, where his yeah. father lives, his the fabrication of his father. And he grasps his father, you know, at the very end, and the camera pulls up, and you realize that he's not home. He's actually on Solaris, which is where he'll stay for the rest of his existence, Yeah, hoping that she comes back. So he's totally bought into the fabrication of this woman as being the return of true love. Yeah. Um, but it's this false thing, and it's a very sad yeah. moment when you realize what he's chosen because at first I mean you th- the way the the thing is shot you think that he's gone back home and he's mm-hmm. just going to deal with you know life and maybe make amends with his dad and move yeah. on but no he's t- he's probably made the worst decision of his entire life by deciding to stay and wait for this fake woman and that's the thing again. in it, well, the worst decision so at the when we say that we are speaking objectively and cosmically and perhaps eternally because for him he probably thinks it's the best thing mm-hmm. he it's it's only a matter of time before he is able to fool himself legitimately into right. thinking it's the real person and he's with her forever and he couldn't be happier but of course that that speaks to this idea of he doesn't he's not going to be doing anybody any good now and maybe he wasn't doing anybody good before, but he's certainly not going to now. He's chosen to basically live inside what he wants. And it occurs to me, just uh, from a story story point of view, Solaris is done. 
it's they're going to hang that on a hook because he went there at the beginning of the movie in order to see what happened and to evaluate whether or not it it was wise to continue the experiments on Solaris. Yeah. And so if he's just the next astronaut or person that's fallen into the sea never to be retrieved again, they're going to scrub the whole thing. So there's yeah. no there's no chance of him coming back right from this place. Yeah. He's con- he's consigned himself. Is that word consigned? He's consigned sounds, himself right. to an eternity of of living inside of a lie. Yeah. That's just really sad. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing is... is But how many people do we know that are doing that? Oh. How, how many times have I done that? Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, I, I, I was talking with a friend of the show, Jason Eakin, last night, and we were just reminiscing about things. And, and reminiscing is fine. Nostalgia is fine. Having an appreciation for the past is fine. It's, it's all fine. But oh, again... Midnight in Paris. Another time travel movie. Go ahead. I do. Yes. Carry on. Oh shoot! Yeah, I've been looking for a film to com- to uh, pair with that, and uh, Solaris would have been a good one. Oh mm-hmm. well, hmm. I'd much rather talk about it with this. Um, but uh, but yeah, and so there's nothing wrong with you know thinking back to you know quote unquote the good old days and that sort of thing. Especially just he and I were talking about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies. <laughs> um, but uh, so yeah, we we all do it because why? Because it's safe. We know what we're going to say about it. We don't know what we're going to say about the future, so we'll worry about it. We'll fret about it. And in the meantime, the past is what's safe. And so I feel like oftentimes our present winds up being some weird mixture. Well, it's always going to be a mixture. It's just it winds up being a bad mixture of try- of wishing desperately we could change the past and having and letting that inform our concern about the future. Because, oh, man, am I making the same mistake now that I did 10 years ago? Right. I don't know. And just and it winds up kind of paralyzing us a little bit, I think. And um, and that's where all three of them come into play, but in the worst possible way, as opposed to looking at the past, recognizing, looking at all of it, not merely the mistakes, not merely the good things, recognizing what it was and how it shaped you. And then recognizing that I, I'm probably making mistakes right now, but those mistakes didn't kill me. And these mistakes aren't going to kill me either. And just keep you know, keep on trying to do the best thing, recognizing that tomorrow there, you really know, really don't know what's going to happen. I'll read some Bible verses right now. Um, Matthew six, verse 34. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And then, uh, Matthew six, 27. Uh, can any of you by, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Now, those have been, uh, those have been uh, repeated many times, and the thing that always gets me is I look at them like, yes, but I need to worry about tomorrow a little bit, because how are, how is the bills going to get paid? You right. know, um, I'm not a bird. I'm not a flower. I'm a human being. Yeah, I, I have to yeah pay rent. Exactly. Like someone who really doesn't care, doesn't worry about tomorrow doesn't worry about working today but that's not but that's the thing it's not about someone who has no regard for tomorrow or isn't planning it's worrying Mm -hmm. it's fretting over things you know and just making an idol of your own plans oh absolutely yeah oh it's and it happens all the time like i it just happened to me with my with my job um my job is not going away but it is changing and i i was we, you know, Jen and I were locked into my job as the as the constant, hmm. 
from a financial and professional standpoint. And now it is changing. And suddenly it's like, oh, shoot, I need to I need to adjust where I didn't think I had to at all. Right. And that's in response to, you know, the 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 industry in which I work changing. And so changes need to be made needed to be made at my company. And so um, so that's the thing is. We, we, I don't know, we, we act as though we've got things because, oh, well, the, we've learned from the past. So we've got this worked out and we'll, and as long as we have this worked out tomorrow, I can let tomorrow worry about itself because I've got it all worked out now. And it's just like, well, that's probably not going to happen. Um, but, and oddly enough, and so it's, so Jen and I have actually been worrying about my, my job and, and bringing in money and that sort of thing. But oddly enough, thinking about this episode and trying and worrying so much about the future, oddly enough, the one thing we haven't learned from the past is that we've always been okay. Um, That's the one. It's like, no, 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 we're okay because we're looking back. This could be the big one. You know, this could be the big moment when we're not okay. And it's like, no, it's probably not. Probably not. It'll probably be fine. You know, make the, make whatever uh, changes you need to make and, but in the end, those changes aren't going to save you either. Right. So who knows what's going to happen? And that's when, as a Christian, I have to fall back on the idea of everything working towards the good. Even, you know, loss of a job. Again, not that I'm losing my job, but even loss of a job or loss of a family member or something like that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I want to quote a couple more things. Um, so this is another C.S. Lewis quote. I could I could well believe that it is God's intention, since we have refused milder remedies, to compel us into unity by persecution even by, by persecution even and hardship. Satan is without a doubt nothing else than a hammer in the hand of a benevolent and severe God. For all, either willingly or unwillingly, do the will of God. G, uh, sorry, Judas and Satan as tools or instruments, John and Peter as sons. And so when I look at stuff like that and we and to bring it back to the film if if old joe or chris kelvin from solaris um if they were to look at the past and their the things that they've lost and both of them have lost the same thing um and decide to act kind of the same way which is to dwell in the past and what they have lost and trying to change it in the each in his own way um they basically are not Certainly, they're not looking forward. They're not moving forward, seeing as how, seeing it, looking at what they can, not what they can learn from it. There's only so much you can learn from loss, but what, what is in store for them now, and how is this going to make them better, stronger, closer to God? You know, whatever. We only think in terms of what we've lost, knowing how much it hurt in the past, and refusing to let it happen in the future. And in doing so, we wind up, you know, killing children like in uh, Looper. Jeez. I have to assume, right? That's that's how everyone deals with killing children. Yeah, that's that. Is, that will solve a lot of your problems, I think. I I can't say yay or nay without incriminating myself. It's indeed, absolutely. Um, so we should probably start wrapping up. Did you have anything you wanted to, you wanted to throw in here at the end? There's so much that I wrote down. Okay, that, I, I, that fascinates me, but I think probably it would be. Uh, diminishing returns at this point okay all right so we'll end with my killing children comment that's that's a good call um all right 
So, Robert, thank you so much for being here. Um, Thanks I hope, for asking me. I hope you guys uh, enjoyed this episode. Go out and see, go out and see Looper. If you've listened this far, undoubtedly you've seen Looper. Um, but you might not have seen Solaris, or you might not have seen the old Solaris. Um, and uh, I will say that it's pretty much double the length uh, of the newer one. Um, it's two hours and 43 minutes, I believe. Yeah, and I think the new one is about 85, 90 minutes. So, yeah. So the new one may be a bit more streamlined and still hits some of the same points, but there's something to be said for... Uh, a film style. Yeah, and, his, and the film that just sort of just sort of languishes i mean these guys are just in the in the space station mm-hmm. kind of bored a lot of the time i would assume but also being worked on by the planet all the time and so there i think you need to allow the movie makes you some feel space. like those characters feel very much so there's that was a tarkovsky's whole mo yeah put put you there keep you there this is only the second of his films that i've seen the other i saw ivan's childhood which i loved i love that movie um you should see andre rublev that's wonderful. that's that's what i hear um, and just this week, I watched um, Stalker. I've never seen that, which either. is actually yeah. very similar. I, I didn't know this going in, but to um, Solaris in terms of its theme of um, we all have a greatest desire, and here is a mechanism for achieving that mm-hmm. in some way, and how that's not really good for you. Yeah, the guy that I watched uh, Solaris with, he had seen Stalker, and he said it was actually very similar, but somehow more surreal. Yeah. So, um, okay. One, one real fast thing. Go ahead. Um, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Richard Matheson. Do you know Richard Matheson? Oh yes, yes. Who passed away this week, and mm-hmm. he is so pivotal in the in the world of entertainment slash sci fi slash time travel. Both of these movies are essentially time travel, even Solaris in a way. Yeah. Um, I just watched a couple of uh, the old Twilight Zone episodes that he wrote um, just yesterday and this morning, and it, I'm just again just going back to childhood, just so fascinated. But he he made such compact beautiful time travel stories and other kinds of stories as well but I, I just when I heard that he died it was one of those kind of moments when I was like oh it kind of kind of stings a little you don't know him I hadn't even thought about him in months or years right. but for my childhood and the kind of things I gravitated toward to see that name that he's gone was just kind of a sad moment but I know him primarily as the guy that wrote the original story of I Am Legend mm-hmm. um and I like the I like the new movie, but I know that they made giant thematic changes to it. Because um, yeah, that original story is a uh, an exercise in ex- and an examination in perspective. Yes, and uh, that sort of thing. So yeah, yeah he uh, yeah, he I, will I, be missed. I, I always I always like that uh, that you have a, a link to those old sci-fi guys i know that you were a big fan of ray harryhausen mm-hmm. who passed away somewhat recently yes he did um but yeah so all right so uh let's wrap up real quick um you can go to more than one and find uh various things including uh, t-shirts and uh, blog entries and various things that you can uh purchase movies and some of the movies that we've uh, spoken about and that kind of thing so go to more than one lesson.com for that you can email me tyler at more than one lesson.com you can follow me on twitter at more lessons uh robert are you where are you available online are you anywhere i think on this podcast okay all right so i just started a, a website uh, a review website recently called hornack watchlist okay dot blogspot Dot com. Okay. Um, but it's so inconsistent that I never advertise it. Yeah. I guess I am now, but you can go there and read the five things I put up if you want. 
And also you've written for uh, More Than One Lesson uh, from time to time, so mm-hmm. people can can uh, search for Robert Hornack and, and find his stuff uh, from the past. So, all right. Thanks once again for but being here. But let's not dwell on the past. Let's not dwell on the past. Absolutely. Let's focus only on the articles he's writing right now. As we speak. As we speak, which is off-putting. He's been typing an article the whole time. It's, it fascinates me he's able to do both. Maybe he's just transcribing what, what we've been saying. But uh, anyway, uh, Robert, once again, thanks for being here. You're welcome. And thank you guys for listening, and we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.